0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is your host, Greg Nielsen, President and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting, where we work with nonprofit organizations all across the country to translate your vision into reality. Whether it's board retreats, staff retreats, strategic planning, Nielsen Training and Consulting is your partner as you translate your vision into reality. I want to welcome everybody back to the podcast. We've taken a little bit of a break. Uh, from our podcast episodes over the holiday season, but now that we're into the new year, we'll be back and and better than ever, and today's conversation is going to be one that I know you enjoy. Joining me for a, a conversation around philanthropy and funding, especially as we go into 2024, along with some civic education, civic language discourse, I'm joined by Amy McIsaac, Amy is the Managing Director of Learning and Experimentation, which I just told her offline. Off-air is one of the coolest titles I've heard. Amy, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Greg. Good to be with you.
0: Amy, tell us a little bit about this exciting title, Managing Director of Learning and Experimentation, and the organization that you're part of.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, um, yes, it's a very fancy title. It also makes it really hard to network with peers because nobody <laughs> else has that title. <laughs> um right. But I am um I am one of the senior members of the team at Philanthropy for Active Civic Engagement, which we go by pace. We're a membership organization of about seventy five, mostly foundations, but all different types, small, large, national, regional, family, private, community, public what they all have in common though is that they're trying to invest their grant making into ways to strengthen american democracy and civic engagement civic life in a in the us Um, And so they come at that from a variety of different angles. Uh, My job is, um, it's a little bit like a program director. We run programming to help our members learn and experiment together. But the reason we don't call me a program director, and instead I am that fancy title you read earlier, is because we have such a high priority on the fact that our programming should lead to learning and should lead to experimentation among our community of funders. So we are not donor advisors. We don't tell folks, you know, you're interested in this, you should invest in that group. That's not what we do. We are more um, thought partners and educators and conveners for funders who are really trying to work through some sticky challenges.
0: And Amy, before we dive further into civic engagement and strengthening democracy through through philanthropy, tell us a little bit about your background, because you have a really fascinating series of experiences that have led you to, to this point in your career.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Um, interesting is, is a good word. So I started as an AmeriCorps member, uh, served in Washington, D.C. in um, 2007 to 2009, and um, And those years might ring a bell for folks because those were the years that we really saw the economic um, downturn in the U.S. And I was working for um, a nonprofit that was um, uh, really on the front lines of rising poverty at the time in an urban setting. Um, I was working on the fund, the capacity building of the development function of that organization. And so I um, didn't know I was a fundraiser and good at that, but that's where I kind of sort of landed and then grew into um, that that role for about five years. And then I went and ran a nonprofit um, in rural Tanzania. I was kind of split time between Tanzania and the U.S., more U.S.-based, but It was kind of like a Peace Corps 2.0 model where young people were serving a year in rural Tanzania. um, And I was the executive director kind of running the board, running the operations, running the recruitment and the fundraising. Um, I left that and started um, working for a group, Service Year Alliance, um, that was actually a product of a merger of a few other groups that were trying to make national service the um, Common Expectation in the U.S. for Young People, um, which spoke to my heart dearly as an AmeriCorps alum and someone who studied service and service is core to who I am. Um, And I was really kind of looking at it from a movement perspective, from a policy perspective. Um, There was a tech platform that was being built. And once again, I was on the fundraising side of that organization. And so there was just this kind of like thread of... Philanthropy, but from the grant seeking side of things. And I was increasingly interested in how philanthropy looks and works from the philanthropy side of things, the grant maker side of things. Um, and after I left service year Alliance, I was kind of looking for a few different things and I was consulting a few different projects and it made sense for where pace was at the time to come join that team in a formal capacity previously was consulting for it on a couple projects. Um, and that's what kind of brought me into the role and where I am now. So even though I'm new to philanthropy, I'm using air quotes for those of you listening, even though I'm new, new to philanthropy, um, I'm new to philanthropy from this angle, um, but very much steeped in the the workings of philanthropy from another angle.
0: I I actually love your background from coming from nonprofit leadership and having seen leadership and service from that angle, then transitioning over to philanthropy. I I think we need more of that in philanthropy. People who have been on the front lines leading nonprofit organizations. So I think that that's a really valuable perspective that you bring. I want to talk as we enter 2024. So from a democracy standpoint, civic engagement standpoint, we know this is going to be a roller coaster of a year from the presidential election on down. What are you seeing in the landscape, funders that you are working with, your members? What are you seeing on the philanthropy side of supporting democracy? Any common themes that are emerging?
1: Yeah, it's going to be a big year and I think one of the things that our members are feeling the most is fatigue for hearing it's going to be a big year, right? And maybe we all resonate a bit with that where the high stakes existential crisis of every election year is is getting to be hard to discern um if if it really is the the make it or break it year or not for democracy. Um so I think everyone is gearing up for it um in in different ways you know of our 75 members folks are interested in a whole bunch of different things related to democracy it's not just about the kind of um What one of our members calls the Super Bowl of democracy, aka the presidential election every four years. It's not only that, we have a lot of members who are also really interested in civic education and in dialogue and in volunteerism and in how AI is playing a role in democracy, not just in elections. So there's a whole host of things. And one of the things I really appreciate about the funders that are at the PACE table is that we understand democracy and protecting democracy is a long haul endeavor. It's not going to be one every four years and then we're good. It's like, it. we have to be thinking about the long term while also thinking about the short term. Um. And so there's just a lot of, um. there's a lot of thinking about that right now. There's also, I'll be really honest, a lot of conversation about what if we don't have a democracy? And what does it mean to invest in democracy? In you know, Is that later this year? Is that in 10 years? Is that in 50 years? Is that ever? How do we know? How do we mitigate against that reality? And if we find ourselves in that reality, what's the contingency planning? So those conversations are live, um, I think, for many of our members. Um, the other thing I'll say, too, is that there are a couple of narratives that You know, we're kind of in the water of democracy and civic engagement. We kind of, um, a big part, a big percentage of our time is spent reading articles and reports and just like getting a temperature check of what is happening, what's the conversation on things. And what we have identified, we've identified a couple of narratives that um, people, for lack of a better way of saying is just like cannot stop talking about. And so I'll name those as possible insights into where this field and really the community um, is. One is um, public and national service power to revitalize faith and democracy is very large. I think there's kind of a new appreciation, acknowledgement and uh, hope around national services power um, in today's in today's uh, political climate. So so that is a big topic of conversation. And. Um, kind of getting to what I was saying earlier the hope that democracy is bigger than the election results we don't like so we're there's kind of this sense of like if my team no matter what that means to you on the political spectrum doesn't win in november what does that mean for democracy and how do we not blur a democratic crisis from a political crisis um and so that conversation i think is very live for folks um and Pluralism is a hot word. You know, the last thing I'll say is pluralism is a hot word in our field. Um, we ran some research on civic language. and you know it's it's quite jargony um, from what the American public use it for. Ah uh, but the realization in our space that pluralism is not free of conflict, and that is okay. um and really getting to new levels of understanding of what does it mean to coexist and not just coexist, but collaborate with people who have very different values from you. And what does conflict in that mean? What does it not mean? And sorting through all of those things that frankly can sometimes fly in the face of you know, neuroscience and the way our mm-hmm. human brains work, but really trying to get to new levels of understanding around that.
0: I, I think you did such a, an amazing job summing up where your members are and where the philanthropy field, those who are supporting, believe in supporting democracy may be. And I know that coming into this, um, You know, when we think about supporting democracy, that looks very different to a variety of funders, regardless of where they are on the on the political spectrum. I'm curious, in an age that tells us that we can't get along, we can't um, coexist, we can't thrive or have civil discourse. How does your organization bring philanthropy together, regardless of what side of the spectrum they're coming from, to have meaningful dialogue and discussions around what supporting democracy, what that phrase means to them from their viewpoint?
1: Oh, such a good question. And honestly, it's getting harder and harder. Um, We, how do I wanna say this? Like, so PACE operates in this category of nonprofits that I didn't know existed until I started working in it called Philanthropy Serving Organizations, PSO for short. And so we are a nonprofit ourselves, but we, we serve philanthropy um and that is kind of um our point of existing so the we've had to really think about there's been kind of an emerging field i would say a bit of a boom of psos over the last many years Um, Some of them are regional, right? Like Philanthropy Massachusetts, where I sit, I live in Massachusetts. They're the PSO that focuses on grantmakers in Massachusetts. But then there's some issue-based ones, like we are. Um, There's grantmakers in health. There's grantmakers in the arts. There's philanthropy for active civic engagement. So you kind of get these different um, tables set, to use a metaphor, where funders can come and any number of things, connect with other funders, learn on different topics, evolve their practice, many things. What we have noticed, and this has really shaped our um, strategic direction as an organization, we've really noticed how much the other spaces that we see in the PSO world are getting quite polarized. So you come here if you subscribe to this belief system, and if you don't, please don't come um and uh you know we're seeing that in different ways um and a lot of our pso uh colleagues um getting very prescriptive with here are the action steps you should take philanthropy if you're trying to achieve this our approach is different it's not better it's different our approach is we don't have the answers neither do you these are questions that don't have answers What we're offering is a space to work it out. I'm a really big stand-up comedy fan, and my favorite comics and my favorite opportunities to be in a live audience are when comedians are working it out. They don't have it artfully figured out yet. They don't know how to land the joke, but they're trying to figure it out. And our job in the audience is crucial to that process, right? That's kind of what I feel like PACE does. We allow funders the space to work it out, not just with people who think like them, but with people who also don't think like them. We try to bring in speakers and introduce topics that are different than what people may expect. We also try to hold a space where people of divergent viewpoints feel like they belong and they will be treated with respect and they will be heard. So it's really about maintaining a culture at The spaces that we convene. And that's, it's tricky. It's very relationship heavy, um, which I think is an underlying hallmark of what it means to model vibrant civic space is the emphasis on relationships. Um, But what it doesn't mean we always have are like tangible outcomes and tangible deliverables. Um, And we're trying to get comfortable with the, the process being the deliverable. Um, So I don't know if that answers your question fully, Gregory, but it is it is kind of a um, we try to hold that moderated space for people to not be perfect and not be worried they'll be canceled as a function of that. And that
0: leads me to the next question, because I know you mentioned something a a few minutes ago around civic language and civic Mm -hmm. engagement and language. Pace has done a lot of work around that topic. For those who may not be familiar, what do, what do we mean when we talk about civic language or civic discourse, civic engagement?
1: Yeah, this is this project is one of my favorite things I've ever worked on in my career. So happy to talk about this. Um, let me give you the, the the quick background on the project, which I think illuminates to your question. Um, so about, I guess now five years ago, um, our funder members were letting us know, the conversation was something like this. I'm saying words and I don't think people are hearing them the way I'm intending them. And I feel like I'm getting this glossed over look. And are we just talking the secret language, even though we're trying to connect with communities through our grant making? Help me understand this. So there was a real detection of a disconnect between philanthropy and the American public on the language used in democracy. So words like democracy, words like civic engagement, like racial equity, like advocacy, like diversity, like freedom, like liberty. So these are words thrown around often in our space, um, not just civic philanthropy space, but just folks who work in the civic world in any kind of professional way. And you you talk to your cousin about it at Thanksgiving, and they're like, glossed over. So we're trying to figure out this disconnect. We ran some research in 2019 that was very small in scope but gave us some in- indicators of where things are. ran a much more robust uh, research arm in 2021. We put a field study out of 5,000 American registered voters, nationally representative sample, and asked for their perception of 21 words commonly used in democracy and civic engagement like the ones um, I kind of shared there. And we got in that round of research a sense of where Americans are, and we asked you know, 12 or so different demographic questions so we could cut the data. We did a deep dive on race, a deep dive on religion, a deep dive on age, a deep dive on gender. We could really get into, ooh, are these demographics and these groups of people more positively, more negatively, more unfamiliar? How are they rating? What is their relationship to these words? We also, in that data, understood and asked questions around who they associate with using the words. Um, So we got what we feel like in 2021 and 2022 when we analyzed the data, was a sense of what perceptions Americans hold and who they associate with using those terms. And we thought, great, major contribution to the field. We had that data set was available via a dashboard, tons of analysis available on our website, Um, There's a really, I think, helpful report that outlined our nine major findings, including, spoiler alert, the word civic is not landing with the American public. And yet the word civic is like all over our stuff. Right. It's like it's in our organizational name. It's in most (laughs) organizational names who work in democracy. And yet all of the words that we um, surveyed that had civic or civil in them were very unfamiliar to American public very negative, low on positivity and high on neutrality. Right. So they just don't have a relationship with these words. So just how to sit with these kind of like the assumptions that we carry about the language we use. um, so And we that correlates,
0: about- Amy, yeah. with with our experience in nonprofit leadership as well. I mean a lot of times you know whether we're leading an education organization or healthcare or human services serving kids there's always going to be that jargon, that language yeah. that means something to us in our field, that means something to our staff members and those that we're serving, but to the greater public that we're trying to communicate who we are and what we do. We, there's a there's a value in in analyzing is it landing with them? Do people understand those words the same way we do when we use them?
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's it's that makes me think of a quote one of our board members said when we first started this work, which is like, language doesn't matter except when it totally matters, right? Like we act like these words are just the words. But honestly, they're these little mini signals left and right, up and down that we're sending out at all times. And people are hearing them a certain way. And, you know, you can't control that always, but you can be more knowledgeable about right. that. The That was in 2022. And I would say in two years, we were like hearing way more from our funders. And, and frankly, this project went way beyond philanthropy. And over 2,000 folks from all different nooks and crannies of the civic space were leaning on this research and what we were hearing most from folks is like, this language has gotten so coded and loaded. I don't have words. Like, I can't even say democracy anymore. We know patriotism has been long gone, but like, I can't even say democracy anymore. I can't say racial equity. I can't say diversity, like, which is like, maybe fine. But like, what do I say instead? Right. And so there's a whole new chapter of this learning journey that we're, we're I would say at the beginning of, even though we're a, f- a bit into it where we're trying to understand, okay, two years later, where are Americans on some of these words and some new words? So we've retested. Uh, we put another survey out into the field last November, so about two months ago, and we'll be releasing it on March 6th and trying to understand where Americans are on these terms. But really, we designed the survey to do two things in my head. One was understand why. Why do Americans hold the perceptions they hold? Can we start to understand that? So we asked a whole bunch of questions that we think will give us some insight there. And then second, by far my favorite question in the whole survey, and it's going to take a lot to analyze, but I'm excited to do it, is we asked open-ended question, how do you define democracy, civic engagement, racial equity? Respondents had one of those three presented to them. So we have 5,000 Americans' own words on one of these three terms. And where I'm excited about that is because That, I think, is a key to understanding where this language is evolving to. So if we don't have democracy as a tool or we feel like it's creating way more confusion or way more grief than it is doing good in the world, what are the other words that Americans are telling us they would use in understanding democracy? And I'm particularly excited. Excited about pulling out the 18 to 24 year old sample set of that de- definition to mm-hmm. understand where are the young people telling us this language is going. That's right. And how do we allow that to be the tools and, and a little bit of the roadmap of how we evolve civic language or we be where it's evolving already, and then we support that. So that's the work that we're we're um embarking on this year. We felt like 2024 was. In some ways, we're like, we just did this two years ago. Are we really ready to do it again? And in other ways, we said there's no way we couldn't. With how important the language we use to describe our civic life and to do things democratically together is going to be crucial in this year, we had to allow space for people to work it out and figure out how they get through it.
0: Amy, this is such critical work and and just understanding the landscape around our own democracy and around the words that we use to describe it. I'm going to invite you back onto the podcast after March 6th uh, because I'll be fascinated to hear what the report shows and what the trends have been and what are the new findings that you have from there. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast for those who want to learn more about your work your organization maybe want to be the first to get the results uh, from the report once it's released how can people get a hold of you
1: yeah so easiest is uh, a pace website www.pacefunders.org p-a-c-e pace and you can go there to sign up for our newsletter you can also go there um, to learn a little bit more about our team um, and then me directly can be at Amy at pacefunders.org happy to be in touch with any of your listeners who are interested in learning more
0: Amy thank you so much for taking the time to join us as, as all of you who are listening hopefully you can tell this is the best this is this is such a cool opportunity when you're hosting a podcast like this and you get to speak with people like Amy who are passionate about what they do making such an impact um, in their community, both locally, regionally, nationally, um, it's just a it's just a great thing, and I appreciate all that you are doing. All our nonprofit leaders who are listening are doing as well. Just a quick reminder for those who are listening: make sure you're subscribed to the Nonprofit Vision podcast on your favorite platform so you get notified uh, when the latest podcast episodes arrive. You can hit that subscribe button if you're enjoying it. I encourage you to share it with your friends, colleagues, coworkers. Leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Platform. And everybody out there, stay safe and stay well.